Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, on Friday, we did something I have never been part of in my life, canceling a Good Friday service. So maybe it's extra fitting that as the gospel reading begins this morning, we have some Good Friday left. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary came to the tomb alone. Good Friday, the cross, death, despair, it lingers in the story. It lingers for most of us, doesn't it? Death doesn't hover, hover over us only for a day. Death is that ominous cloud that covers our lives. We spend our entire life trying to avoid death, ignoring it, trying to stay young or look young or pretend we're young. Death is one of those very few things that every single one of us born on this planet share, but most of us can't even bring ourselves to say the word. When my mom died, I heard over and over again, I'm sorry your mom passed. I'm sorry your mom went on without us. My mom died. And unless Jesus comes very soon, every one of us in this room will have dirt thrown over our casket or will go into a crematorium. You will die. Happy Easter. <laughs> but there is every kind of death riddled through our world. We have carried death with us into this room. Some of us, it's in your body. Some of us carry with us death of dreams, death of our happiness, death of marriage, death of our accomplishments, death of a reputation. Some of us feel the death of our community. Many of us have great grief over the dying of this marvelous planet and the things that we've done to it. And the great terror that accompanies death is that when death finally comes, we will be alone. Mary came to the tomb alone. I think death's brooding question really is this. Are we finally and in the end alone? Are we in the end really left with nothing but tombs? Is my life merely a blip that quickly fades on the cosmic map? Is death the end? Is our world, the whole human story, our history, our hopes, is all of this finally consumed in death? Easter is God's belligerent promise, God's 
absolute pronouncement that God is the end, not death. Easter insists that Jesus tramples death. Well, I've just said something that's stated pretty often in Scripture, but obviously it raises some skepticism. I imagine along with the death that's in the room, we have some skepticism in the room. I carry it myself more than a little bit. Hesitancy to these claims is a sane response if you're taking the story seriously. The scriptures do not give us the Easter story with a shrug. They give it with a lightning bolt. If this impossible story is true, then absolutely everything changes. And if it's not true, then return to life as usual. Let's enjoy some donuts after church Let's make the most of things. The scriptures are not bothered by our doubts. One of the most profound things of the stories of the resurrection and all that surrounds them is in the gospels is how that they actually lead us into the doubts. They raise the questions for us. It was dark, John says. There was no light. And this wasn't just a description of the sky. If you're reading John, there is this constant polarity between light and dark. Light is the place where God is alive and joy is breaking free, and darkness is the place where death is. And where Mary was, it was dark. And she's at a tomb. Mary did not come to the tomb expecting to find a resurrected Jesus. She came to weep. She came to cry. She came to grieve and to mourn. You don't need a PhD to know that dead people stay dead. And we might think that we're way smarter than all the people in the first century, but it is not a breakthrough of modern wisdom to know that when you go into the tomb, you don't walk out. When Mary saw that tomb was empty and ran to the disciples, she didn't say, Guys, you are not going to believe this. It's empty. Jesus rose from the dead. Rather, she says, they've taken Jesus' body, and I have no idea where they've put it. So Mary runs. She gets Peter and John. They race back, and they're bewildered. And I love how John tells us they actually still didn't understand from the scriptures that Jesus was supposed to rise from the dead. So I don't want to make this seem easier than it is. On this Easter day, it is absolutely true that what we're dealing with is an impossibility. It's an impossibility unless God has acted. With our Easter baskets overflowing with Peeps and Cadbury eggs, and in our house, nasty, sour, and gummy stuff, which I (laughs) totally do not get. But Miska gets the top shelf. She gets Gearhearts. (laughs) With our Easter baskets overflowing, we can be forgiven for forgetting that what we're dealing with here is life and death. With a corpse and hell and Jesus walking out of a tomb and scaring the holy bejesus out of every single person he encountered. 
we face a temptation to transform Easter into what basically amounts to a lovely but generic weekend festival. Keeping Jesus politely tucked away so that we don't embarrass ourselves. A vague, uncontentious celebration of the magnificent arrival of spring. I am grateful for every opportunity to celebrate, to enjoy the splendor of this beautiful earth, to love our family, to eat deviled eggs and mashed potatoes. I'm glad for every single lick of it. But none of this comes even close to the insane, shattering story of Jesus that we call Easter. The scriptures that we read today, the reason we worship this morning and every Sunday morning is a bombshell, shaking the very foundations of what we understand about the world, about ourselves, about life, about the way things work. If Jesus is not more powerful than death, if Easter isn't true, if human existence is in the end, merely us trying to suck as much goodness as we can out of life and maybe using our faith as a little tool to help along that way, and then disappearing into the ether and into the nothingness, if all the evils of the world and the wrongs done to us and the suffering of millions really are left as only the tragic episodes of an arbitrary and meaningless existence, if this really is the truth, then I'll be honest with you, you can spend this any way you like, and we can eat a thousand chocolate-filled bunnies. But if that's the truth, I don't see much of any reason for hope. But if Jesus is more powerful than death, if Easter is true, if the true story of the world and your life is the story that God tells... Well, there's hope. The story of Easter is not a nostalgic religious narrative warming us with its gentle but unobtrusive familiarity. Easter rips through the fabric of history, announcing that God triumphs over the thing we most fear, the thing that every one of us spend most of our waking hours trying to outlast and always lose. The thing that in the end of every other story that has ever existed in human history always wins. Death. But Easter. Easter is the story that death is not the most powerful reality that exists. God is. God triumphs over death. God tramples death. In the epistle reading this morning, Paul said, If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If for what we know of this life only we have hoped in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has raised from the dead. But in fact, 
Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died, each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then in his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Alleluia, Christ is risen. One of my favorite phrases from these days that we are celebrating is the phrase, the harrowing of hell. One of, I think I have a picture here. This is a picture of Christ's descent into Hades. Not all Christians hold this, but I do. This, this understanding is, is that what happened after Christ hung on the cross and breathed his last and said, it is finished, that Jesus wasn't merely sleeping, Jesus wasn't playing Monopoly or Uno's off with some of the uh, Old Testament saints. Jesus was going into the very harrows of hell, conquering every evil and every death. And in this story that's told in the icon, he is grabbing Adam and he is grabbing Eve, our human forefather and foremother, and he is pulling them out of death and he is raising for all time and eternity all of his people and all of his creation. And in another icon that we don't have a picture of this morning, Jesus is planting his foot on death, and he's raising the flag. Jesus tramples death. The scripture says that he's the first fruits. That means he's just the first taste of what's coming. All of the flood is coming after him. Easter is not just a story about one man named Jesus proving how powerful he was. Easter is the central story of God's action in the world. It's the culmination of everything that God had promised Israel. It is the opening salvo of everything God intends for our future. Easter is not only the story of God raising Jesus from the dead. It is the story of how God will raise the whole of creation from the dead. Have you noticed how the Gospels give scant detail about the resurrection? They explain very little. It's one of the things that makes me seem like they're so authentic. They simply announce the impossible. It happened. The Gospels do not explain the resurrection. The resurrection explains the Gospels. The rest of the New Testament and the story looking back to the entire Old Testament is for the most part meaningless outside of some helpful ethics if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. But alleluia, Christ is risen. So before we finish, we need to return just for a moment to Mary. The other disciples are gone, rushing about as they seem to do. 
But Mary stays. And she's alone again. And she weeps. She weeps. And this is the most appropriate response to death. Where are you weeping? Where is your heart broken? Where is your fear most pregnant? Two angels appear and they ask her. They ask her why she's weeping. She says, someone's taking Jesus and we don't know where. And then Jesus appears and she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's a gardener. There's a whole sermon there. But Jesus knows her. She doesn't know Jesus. Not yet. But Jesus knows her. And it's just a little aside. If you're writing a story to try to convince people about something that isn't true, you've done an awful job. Because none of the heroes know what's going on. She doesn't know Jesus, but Jesus knows her. And you might be here this morning and you might be filled with fear and doubt and you feel consumed. And you might be thinking, I don't know this story. I can't hold on to it. I don't know this Jesus. I thought I did. I thought I used to. I wish I did. Jesus knows you. And Jesus says her name, Mary. And Mary is undone. This is the moment when for Mary, for Mary, Jesus trampled death. When Jesus looked at her with the compassion of the Trinity and calls out her name. The truth is, we don't really believe in the hope of Easter. The hope that all dead things within us and around us will be undone until we hear Jesus call our name. And when we hear Jesus call our name and we answer And I believe with every fiber in me that Jesus is calling your name. From these piercing words, from that empty tomb, from the light and joy that might pound in your heart, Jesus says, just like he said to that dead Lazarus, rise up and live. Rise up and live. I am trampling down death. Will you live? Would you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.